Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the movers and shakers of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Grow With Us is a podcast that highlights the work of In Tulsa and informs you about the exciting and innovative work being done around the city by its best and brightest. In Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. This week, we are in conversation with Marcia Bruno Todd, the Director of Programs and Community Impact at Leadership Tulsa. Marcia, it's so good to have you on. It's good to be here. Uh, Marcia is a light in this community. We're gonna we're gonna shower Marcia with some praise really, Aww. really quickly because she t- so deserves it. Um, but I'm so glad you're here. You're truly an amazing person, and I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Would love for you to kind of tell us um, your story in whatever way you feel comfortable, Marcia. I'm Marcia Bruno Todd. I am a proud Boricua, which is Puerto Rican. I came here to the United States mainland uh, relatively young, and uh, my parents are both uh, medical physicians recruited by the federal government. They recruit a lot of physicians from Puerto Rico and the islands, and they worked for Indian Health Services and uh, the military as well. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Lawton, Oklahoma, moving here, uh, which is weird. I'm just saying my background of being Boricua is like all of my Puerto Rican family is like, where where are you living? Some are New Yorkans in New York, others <laughs> in Florida living it up, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, <laughs> with Pitbull. But um, <laughs> they're, they're inevitably always is like, Oklahoma. That's how they're like, what? <laughs> What's there? <laughs> A lot. There's a lot here. And yeah. I'm I'm glad that I got to see that in in Lawton. It's a military town, largest artillery base in the country. And I got to learn from different cultures and people. And that really formed me, I think, understanding the different cultural nuances that what we think is true here may mm-hmm. be somebody's completely different uh, framework. Yeah. There is no sense of one right way of thinking. Does that make sense? 100%. So my parents taught me that pretty early on, but then I got to see that in the different cultures that I got to live in. But transparently, I had two different worlds, going to school and then coming home. Mm -hmm. And going to school, it wasn't until as I got older, I realized that there was a lot of racism in my school. I just was okay with the jokes that teachers and other friends' parents and friends would say about my family and my identity, it, I thought it was okay. Yeah. It's it, weird. Like, it's I had so this bizarre. moment. I've been watching, like, like older TV recently. And, like, for instance, I've been watching The Real Housewives. <laughs> and one of The Real Housewives, is, it was in Atlanta. And, like, the first episode, it is a, it's a white woman that says, um, I'm a black woman in a white woman's body. And this was in 2008. And it's like, <laughs> this is so bizarre to me. There's like the, the cultural change that we've gone through in the past like decade or I mean, obviously that's more than a decade, but 
Um, I mean, I can't imagine how much, how the stark difference is, is it, <laughs> like going just, 30 years, 40 years. It I is, it is, it is. I mean, I'm not 40 yet, but okay. Um, <laughs> but like, no, I'm just thinking about just when I was going to school, I was, my brother and I were in one other family were the Latinx population of the yeah. school. And then my, the, my friends, they were the black population of the school. Like it was just one family. Yeah. It, it was very, um, it was a very homogenous uh, experience where there weren't that many people of color. Yeah. So there was that, right? And it was a sense of survival. And I think that my parents wanted to make sure that I succeeded. However, so much of me succeeding meant shutting down my parents mm. and my culture and my identity, turning it off completely. Like that was what was equating in my mind. And I didn't really have a chance to really reflect on the impact of that until I went to college. Yeah. And it actually was, of all things, a white man who came to me and kind of opened up my eyes to all of the racism and prejudice that I've been okay with. Mm-hmm. When he asked me how to say my name, and it was in the middle of, I mean, this is an intro to a political science class. I mean, Ooh, those are always so yeah. good. <laughs> Fun fact I, I became a political science major after that. But um, anyway, I'll never forget him. His name is Dr. Jim Davis. Really thick Southern accent. Mm-hmm. He actually was, he ran campaigns and ran for, uh, I think, lieutenant governor back in the day in Texas. Anyway, he's a real nice guy. And he's known that thick Southern accent fixed Texan accent. And I remember he started the class and I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit because I knew that he was probably going to pull out that he knows a few Spanish words, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like it's going to be a situation yeah. where you have to like bond and I'm gonna have to pretend and be like, oh, that was really great, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't that he was going through the the list of names and there's, all, I mean, there's like at least a hundred, I don't know, maybe 80 to a hundred students in the class. It's a big class. Yeah. And maybe that's just my perception. But either way, He's going through the roster and saying our names and he goes by my name and he goes, hmm, Marsha. No, that's not my name. That's okay. Well, then how do you say your name? I said, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. It's okay. You can call me like Marcy or, you know, Marcia. It's okay. Like, no, say, how do you say your name? And I said, I just took a deep breath and I'm looking around. There's a lot of people here. And again, (laughs) This is this is Oklahoma State University. Yeah, there's it's a primarily white classroom. You know, there's not that many Latinx, Lat- Latina people, or even African American people. Yeah. Or like it's just yeah. there's not. And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is the first week of school. What is going on? <laughs> uh, Marcia. Okay, okay. So he tries to say my name, and he's like, "Is that is that it?" Um, yeah, sure, sure, sure. It is. It is. Whatever. It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how I honor you. This is how I respect you. How do you say your name? And yeah. I'm going to continue practicing it. And I just remember being super apologetic. For, and I realized that moment was this big aha. That yeah. This man would stop the class to do that. Just to get your name right. And I kid you not, I graduated in a little school of 17 people in a graduating class. Wow. You know, I, I, had, I had privilege. It was, a, it was a private Christian school in Lawton, Oklahoma. But here's the thing. No one ever said my name right. Yeah. It became a joke. Like I apologize to people as I introduce myself saying my name would be difficult and let them call me whatever. Yeah. I mean, it it was absurd. Um, so that was what was internalized to me. 
And then you've got my parents saying, just do the best you can. We want the only way we can succeed is that we we study harder. We try harder. Our our margin of error is not the same as your peers. So mm-hmm. you have to. So I didn't want to rock the boat or correct anyone. Correct anybody or anything like that. So then that's what happened. But for this white man using his privilege in that moment to say, nah, no, you yeah. I'm gonna say your name. That was a big deal. And that's what I mean by that. It was this moment in college where I had to unpack what it was. And then that's what made the impact for me, saying one of many things, that I want to change this. No child, no other person should go through this. You know, Uh, imagine if people are raised in an environment where they're celebrated and not have to apologize for their mere existence. Imagine the potential, right? Um, what that can mean for our community, especially since our community is grow. I mean, it's growing and it's beautiful and it's diverse and vibrant. You've got people that are that are multiracial that are coming from different cultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Our our immigrant community in Tulsa specifically is incredibly vibrant and yeah. in, incorporated into the things that we do, and it's it's exciting. Um, I think our students, our children, deserve to be in a space where they're celebrated. Um, but not at the cost of someone else, right? Like, yeah. doesn't mean that that mentality of celebrating you, Evan, doesn't mean that I'm not going to celebrate uh, Jesse yeah. or another person in the class. I think we could all succeed and thrive and be celebrated. Um, and we all can be challenged as well. So yeah. that's kind of what it's inspired me. Thank you for helping me reflect that. And I also, and I hope if Dr. Jim Davis or family members of him hear this podcast i want to say thank you for for investing in me and showing me that um no like a good way to honor somebody is saying their name correctly yeah it's 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 so simple it's I, it, it harkens back for me like shakespeare of like what's in a name like that poem um i think we in, interrogated that at like the same time in one of my native american studies classes in college when Obviously, it's it's also filled with indigenous people that have perceivably difficult names to say. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, there are lots of, of my peers that have names that are difficult to say in their indigenous language. But it, to, I think seeing professors, seeing people of authority or whatever, recognizing and trying, like like you're saying, is you could see the difference in their attitude, the way they participated in class, the way that they absorbed information changed. All of these things, it, it's like the the means for entry into into learning. I mean, you you want to know that you're going to be respected. Your thoughts are going to be valued. And if somebody can't even say your name right, like <laughs> it it really breaks that down, which is so difficult. And I think it's unfortunately a universal uh, like people of color experience, and and also a lot of black people experience this as well. So I think it's a I think it's a really important thing to. To take the time. I mean, I'm going to applaud <laughs> Dr. Jim Davis for for taking that time because I think it had it had a huge impact on you, which is awesome. Um, so, Marcia, you kind of hinted at this um, kind of in your experience as an Oklahoman. But tell me about your experience as a Tulsan. How how has that experience been for you? Yeah. Um, so I came here to Tulsa, America, actually. Um, teaching. So I was at Oklahoma State University uh, at the time a coordinator for a retention program 
for first-generation college students and uh, BIPOC students, right? Mm -hmm. Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And these students, it was a leadership development program, which is funny, full circle, that's what I do now. <laughs> but I mean, right out of the gate. And this leadership development program was to help support the leadership development of college sophomores at Oklahoma State. And I told you first gen or BIPOC. Mm. And the neat thing, it was kind of intergenerational. They mentored high school seniors Ooh, that's awesome. in Tulsa and in Oklahoma City. And then they all, those students, all of them were mentored by uh, executives at the time, you know, professionals in their field from the Williams Company. Mm -hmm. That's actually full circle fun fact, how I met Allison Anthony oh. from the Tulsa Area United Way. That's yes, awesome. yes, yes, yes. Um, I mean, you you never know when you're going to see people again and what yeah. part of your journey and the cyclical nature of it all. But anyway, so in that, I remember seeing students that were shocked. They would go to my office and I think I really appreciated my office was I had a couch. I don't know how I got that couch. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm like a junior level employee. I don't know how I got that couch, but I got a couch. Um, and that's where students would come in. They'd hang out. They'd always bring like some leftover, some snack of theirs mm -hmm. from the union. And they want to have a conversation about how class went, things like that. And a lot of the conversations, whenever students felt comfortable enough to share vulnerably the, their struggle was, hey, I'm struggling in my English class, like comp, composition one, the yeah. basic entry level, right? The first freshman fall semester class. And uh, they're they're getting D's and F's and like I'm not understanding. Uh, and the reason why is because, you know, they graduated top of their class, potentially valedictorian, mm -hmm. you know, and I see how they're writing and they're struggling writing a simple like five paragraph essay. Yeah. And it was that's that's really a vulnerable state to f admit that you're struggling and you see that there's a gap and you don't know what to do. And they didn't feel safe to admit that to perhaps because this is a primarily white institution, their white peers or their white counselor yeah. or, you know, because they don't see everybody else talking about a struggle. So they're going to go to me. And that's what I really appreciate and commend Oklahoma State for that. Right. That they had a space for students to go to to feel more comfortable to share. Hey, I'm struggling. Where can I get relevant resources? Mm -hmm. Do you have any feedback for me? How can I grow? So I saw that and I, you know. I, the benefit that I got from this, the privilege I told you, I went to a private school in Lawton, and that's, I think, my parents' background of um, in Puerto Rico, like where you put your kids, is a, most of the schools are private Catholic schools or something yeah, like yeah. that. You'd put your kids. So they they would use that framework and put me in what they found would be safe for their child. Well, in that school, despite uh, the racism, external and internal, that I experienced, I did learn, I mean, how to diagram a sentence and yeah. the roots and all of that. And of course, like you dive deep, there's white supremacy and how grammar is written, but all that to say, but like I, I got to learn all the nooks and crannies of English in the English language because I saw early on as a young person that even though my parents are brilliant, they're my heroes. I love them very much. They can save your life in multiple languages, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally. We watch ER or Grey's Anatomy. That's acting. My parents do that for a living. And yeah. it's cool. And yet they were made fun of, treated like they were dumb 
because they had an accent. Yeah. So I worked really hard to have an unaccented voice. And I'm like, great, I'm going to make sure that I learn all of your, I can debate you in your language too and in mine. Like, And I'm going to learn the grammar and do the diagramming sentences. So that's what inspired me. And I wanted to make sure that whatever, I had that skill set. So then I started tutoring and helping the students right at Oklahoma State, the students that were struggling. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is um, there was a trend. I noticed there was a lot of them coming from Tulsa, a lot of them coming from Oklahoma City. And I wanted to know, like, what is going on in our education system? Yeah. You know, young Buck Marcia was thinking, I can I can solve this. <laughs> Let me figure out what is this? What is the system saying? Because systems are designed to do exactly what they're doing. You know, like it's all of those things. So I wanted like I can solve this. And the idea of uh, Teach for America came around. And I was, I'm a different Teach for America alum in the sense that at the time it was a lot of kids straight out of college. I was not a kid straight out of college. Um, I was a mother, a single mother, college degree. I've already worked, you know, professionally and I'm seeing that there's a need. And I saw TFA at the time as the most uh, affordable way to see what's going on in the classroom because I wanted to see what's going on in the classroom. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to address change there. Maybe I need to be like talk about a school environment to be a high school English teacher and show that there's different ways of thinking and and how you communicate yourself yourself can unlock so much potential for you and your community, right? Yeah. Right. I'm watching movies like Stand By Me and all that kind of not Stand By Me. What's the one? Freedom Riders. Freedom Riders and like watching movies like that. You know that that was inspiring. Like, yeah, I could do this. Yeah. And that's not what happened. <laughs> Let me just fast forward. That's not what happened. So I joined Teach for America and I was pretty cocky in the interview to be transparent. They asked me, like, is there anything else that you want us to know about you uh, before we end this interview? And I said, with or without you, I'm going to find out how educational inequity is happening in K-12. You, I love that. I was just super I direct. Love <laughs> I was looking back and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this girl. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that's why my daughter is the way she is. But anyway, so I was here and they moved me to Tulsa, which was brilliant because I already knew parents and families of Tulsa because they were yeah. my students at OSU. So I was just, it's like Miss Bruno's just moving to Tulsa. No, no big deal. I, um, I was really excited when they put me at McLean because, again, I had students and families connections to McLean. So that's cool, yeah. So I'm at McLean High School, and transparently, that's when I, in the classroom, I struggled. I was a horrible teacher. <laughs> I was a horrible teacher. Uh, I was a horrible teacher. But you know who helped me? Who's that? Were the parents and families. It wasn't, it wasn't even TPS at the time, even though they have great like, teaching resources. It wasn't even TFA at the time, even though I think they have pretty robust teaching resources. It was truly having dinner with parents and families. Wow. They helped me. They helped me understand that there's greater issues at, at play. These same parents and families that then the juxtaposition of the news media showing me that they are unsafe. Yeah. That I'm in a neighborhood that's unsafe. Careful, lock your doors. I mean, that's actually what the conversations I would overhear yeah. in some of the downtown eating establishments here. That's what's that's what students of other high schools knew of that it, uh, other high school too. That's it, exactly. Pervasive. I've actually overheard another teacher say to her students before before like this is when I was able to observe other classes and across the city is don't be like the kids in McLean. We're not McLean. What? Yeah. Are you kidding me right now? 
So that juxtaposition of these are brilliant families. I mean, the reason why I survived, they helped me raise my my children. They helped me become a better person. That was my community, my home, the same family and community that my parents showed me to build in Lawton at the time. It's the same family and community that I found in North Tulsa. Yeah. And um, that's kind of my experience is it's interesting how perceptions can pivot so much, right? Mm -hmm. That can control how policies are made, um, how resources are allocated, and um, quite frankly, who's not in the room when the decisions are being made, right? And that's been my experience, and that's why I dedicate my time and to what I do now with Leadership Tulsa is to make sure that folks from Every single community, right, all geographic regions of our city have a chance to share their story and we're not prioritizing one or the other. Yeah. And that we can talk openly and honestly of the wonderful triumphs in our community, but then our, where we're struggling, yeah. our, our tough spots, our, where we are grossly disservicing our, um, our children, our families, and what's our role in that? What's our role in perpetuating this inequity or what's our role in disrupting the system in a healthy, constructive way so that we could build a thriving Tulsa for all? Yeah. So that's kind of my experience with Tulsa is uh, we have such brilliant stories, unfortunately, that have been hidden and And undermined and undermined and uh, erased, erased (laughs) and ignored. And there's so much power and potential in our homes, in our families, in the communities. We just have to really listen. And I think, uh, and we have to understand our point of privilege when we have it. Mm-hmm. And is your role to provide more access for others? Are you part of the problem? Are you perpetuating the inequity? Yeah. Um, are you the gatekeepers? Are you the gate? Exactly. Yeah. Like, are you perpetuating this distrust intentionally? So that's, uh, yeah, thank you for helping me. Roundabout story no, sharing you're, that. That was amazing. I, I think something just in you sharing that, um, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a brag or anything, but like when I was reading and just reflecting on our intro and it feels like, you know, what I say in my intro, in my intro of like, you know, bringing together the, the best and brightest of Tulsa and, you know, creating conversations. It sounds like that is in essence a lot of what you do at Leadership Tulsa too. Because you're you're bringing the best and brightest with a specific community in mind. I mean, we're going to talk about the programs that you all that leadership Tulsa serves, but I mean, it's it's specifically around creating conversations of, like you said, where are the gaps? Like people talking about what their experience was like growing up as a black person in Tulsa, growing up as an indigenous person in Tulsa. It's it's a space that people can use where. Or I guess it's just interesting to to note that there hasn't been spaces like this, and and the impact of that is so is so huge. I mean, it goes back to the, your story about the kids coming into your room and sitting on your couch and having a place to vent and having a place to be vulnerable about their academic achievements. That's so something that I experienced in my college too, where it was like I went from the top of you know my high school to the bottom at, at an Ivy League, which is it's it's it really does feel like you're rolling down a hill very fast because those institutions are not built for people that that have been 
I mean, I, I, I felt this way and so did a lot of my peers. They're just not built with the mindset that you can struggle healthily. Like mm -hmm. you're supposed to be at the top of your game or else you're going to get left behind. And guess who gets left behind in every education mm -hmm. system? Mm -hmm. the, the black indigenous people of color. And um, it, it's just so, it's so wild to me how universal that experience is too of like, you go to an elite institution that you've aspired to go to your whole life and then you're left in the dust because you 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 can't keep up you weren't they, they weren't designed for you to keep up in and so i don't know that just was really impactful to me to kind of think that or just to really recognize that everybody needs space <laughs> everyone needs like someone that can can validate them at a time where they might feel at their lowest especially when it's academic achievement and that's what you think is going to get you out of your your social status your socioeconomic status is like education is what people cling to and to be beaten down by institutions is so demoralizing and it it truly can change it, it i mean it changed my direction in life i thought i was smart enough to be a doctor and then i went to school and and that was the first thing that i had to let go mm -hmm. was that and i don't know this isn't to say i'm not smart enough to be a doctor i guess it's just that that experience made me feel like I wasn't. And that mm. was enough for me to want to change what I what I needed to do and who I wanted to impact. Mm. Um, well, I will yeah. say this. This is the benefit because I also don't want it to be because the, the rhetoric that you hear is that, oh, we're pitting races against each other. We're making it like that really there's racism and prejudice really doesn't exist. Well, that's the story. Have you heard the analogy when it comes to racial equity is the elephants and the mice? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, the mice have to know exactly not just where they're going, but where the elephants are stepping, right? Yeah. Elephants don't have to care at all where the mice are. They don't, right? No. So that's the story, I think, from an elephant, sharing that perspective that, oh, it's never been this bad. Well, but I will say this, is that there's so much turmoil, tension right now happening in the education sector. And we're talking about P20, which is like early childhood through through college age, right? Mm -hmm. Post-secondary and beyond. and there's a lot of things that are come to question. There's a, all this conflict. It's it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable for a while, but think of it as growing pains. This conflict, something, the potential for something beautiful and new can come from that. Mm -hmm. Because I, right now, the way this structure is set up, it's not serving anyone. No. BIPOC, white students, no one. Those that are, you know, like LGBTQ or cisgendered, not, you know, or those that are, able-bodied or or person, people with disabilities, like all of those, it's not serving us. So mm -hmm. we have to figure out a way so that is this system that we're trying to defend and maintain, if it's no longer serving us, then what do we do? Right? And that's kind of where we're at. You you tear it down, you burn it down. <laughs> My anarchy is coming out because like we like we were talking about at the beginning, that is truly like if there was a fifth direction, it's like, let's go burn some shit. <laughs> like I am so angry. I mean, I guess we were talking about that is one of the directions is like you wanna you wanna do something so drastic because that's how you feel like you can change something. And I mean, in some ways it 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 works in other places. It it feels like. I mean, I think a lot of people point to like the French as like mm -hmm. a great example of like how civil unrest can lead to change or whatever. But like I, I don't know. We just gotta I think there is ways of positive disruption of mm -hmm. systems. And that's um I, I feel like you you speak on that really, really eloquently and I and I love hearing about it because it, it's it's 
it's hope inspiring. I mean, to know that, I, I don't know, or, or maybe it's not to know it, but to at least think that there's ways to change the the crap that we live in. Like, and I don't know. I, I'm now I'm now I'm not as eloquent as I want to be, but <laughs> no worries. Well, thinking of our maybe kind of shifting gears about those programs, right? And yeah, let's Tulsa, talk about them. It's it's opportunities, and I want to say that we are. We're not about burning things down, <laughs> although sometimes that may work. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. We can right? at least talk about. We burning. can talk. We can talk about what are the different options, right? Yes. Um, and that's what our programs do: is that folks from different sectors of work and life experiences, ages, come together with this common goal of, I want to. I live, work, and play in Tulsa. I want to serve Tulsa. I want it to be this phenomenal city that we get to raise our children in, live in, work in, all of that. That's it. That's really it. So with that basic understanding, uh, you've got programs like, uh, that's coming up, applications are like the LT360 program. The LT360 is our longest running program. We're about to celebrate our 50th anniversary next year. Wow, that's awesome. We come from this idea of community leadership programs, civic engagement programs, is something that has happened in about the 70s. And we were one of the first in the country to have that, which That's is awesome. really cool that we get to be um, a pace setter for the Association of Leadership Programs. And we get to support uh, the founding and development of other leadership development programs across the country mm-hmm. and also here. So I like that. I like that history. But I also want to say and acknowledge that in that history, leadership development didn't include folks like you and me, right? So we want to speak to that because our leaders are changing. Um, Thank I thank God. Exactly. (laughs) But that's good. But there's space for everyone. Space for everyone. It's not to. I don't need to lift you up and put me down. Exactly. There's not. There's space for everyone. So LT360 is an opportunity for you to plug in and explore the different geographic regions of Tulsa. It's history, opportunities, challenges, hear those narratives uh, from different community members, organizations, and figure out where, what is, kind of reflect, hopefully, that's what we try to coach in the program is, Mm -hmm. then what's your role in this? How do you want to use your unique skills and talents in network to to make Tulsa better, Mm -hmm. a place that you're excited to live and raise your family in? and that's that's it. That's what LT360 is. Another way, I think the neat thing about it being one of the oldest programs is that, so it's actually a larger one, about mm-hmm. 40 folks. And it's folks specifically, we try to diversify in the work sector uh, so that you're learning, if you're in education and you're in the classroom and you have next to you in your as a class member that is the CEO of a, a corporation. Now, you're going to learn and see, you're both going to explore North Tulsa, South Tulsa, East Tulsa, West, Northeast, Midtown very differently. And the power is hearing your colleague process what they're seeing. And that colleague is hearing you process what you're seeing, right? Mm -hmm. Like some teachers, you know, when they go through this or some, you know, even medical professionals, they might bring up different things and ask different questions of our community leaders in a way that you're I didn't realize the interconnected moment of that. I didn't know that that housing has an impact on education. I had no idea that health has an impact on economic development. You yeah. know, like it's it's really cool. It's not just learning from us, 
And it's not even just learning from the city, it's learning from each other in the class, processing and together making that commitment of serving Tulsa. That's awesome. I, I, I'm one of these days I'm going to be in this program. Yeah, of course. I, I of really do. Course. I think it's amazing. And I think exactly what you're talking about, this kind of like learning from community and learning from each other is, is such an undervalued um, experience because I don't think that in school it, you get that very, very much because at least in my like through undergrad, it was the unifying factor of all, about all of us is that we're the same age and we haven't had real world experience. And so when you get these experiences where you are learning from people that have had 15 years of experience, five years of experience in a completely different sector, like you're mentioning, there's so much opportunity to learn from each other. It, it's it's huge. It's world it's worldview changing. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's where this um, innovation mindset can kind of be bred from. Um, and that's how you can serve your city. And I think that service is something that um, I feel like my, my journey or a, a journey of these past couple of years is like, how am I going to serve the community that I, that either I belong to or the community that I just want to serve? And so for me, I'm going to personally, those two, the answer to those two questions of what those communities are is how am I going to serve my indigenous community? Mm -hmm. And then how am I going to serve Tulsa? Mm -hmm. And it has been uh, so hard to answer that to those, to answer those questions because you have to have, or at least for me, I feel like I have to have some type of connection to an indigenous community and my indigenous community feels like it's not very centralized in Tulsa. Mm. And, and really, I don't, I don't, I don't want to speak for all indigenous people. And this is truly just my experience, but it's hard to find like the cultural center. And mm. that's, that's, almost seems like the first step in in feeling like you're serving a community is finding the, the people um but i don't know i i think it's it's been it's been a journey of like where to start too like mm. do you start in what you're in in kind of what you're doing professionally which is kind of the direction i'm going with is like you know i i'm i'm really passionate about economic development and representation and and dei so how do i include indigenous people in this conversation um where the city's building, we're growing um, with everyone in mind. And I do feel like it, it's weird to say that this, but I feel like this is a version of like serving my community because I'm here on a podcast talking <laughs> about indigenous people when if I wasn't here doing that, who knows if there would be. And maybe that's just me rationalizing <laughs> my my efforts, but um, it, it it feels meaningful to me. And I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. But um, I, I don't know. I, just, I feel like I I feel like I am like at least representing indigenous people by by speaking about my experience, um, especially as an indigenous Oklahoman, which is, I think, a different experience than like an indigenous person from Arizona or mm -hmm. New Mexico. Oklahoma has such a crazy experience with um, just indigeneity and kind of my personal identifiers, too. But I, I guess this is a roundabout way of just saying that it's it's so important to have so many people of different backgrounds and identity groups coming together to talk about serving community because service is so important to a lot of people. And it's really, really important to me. Well, definitely. And I think and I appreciate you sharing that. I guess the only thing I would do is I would want to push. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I'm going to push. push. I'm going to push. And that's basically, <laughs> yeah, we. you're right. We do have 
brilliant, powerful, and loving Indigenous leaders in community centers here in Tulsa. And if you don't necessarily affiliate with that particular tribe, I can understand how that could be perhaps a little bit difficult in connection. But I would say overall, overall, I'm really proud of the the role that the indigenous community plays yeah. in policy maker, policy making and tables of influence. However, I want to share why I want to push back is I th- would bet to say that there's a lot of other people that maybe feeling exactly how you feel right now. Oh, I know, I know. So building that community, and I only say this because I'll give you from my context is I'm for the Hispanic Leadership Institute, which is another program that we have. Um, and that program was built really in partnership with the Tulsa Latin, Ameri- Tulsa Latin American Chamber of Commerce and Leadership Tulsa. And the goal was we need the next generation of Hispanic, Latinx, Latina leaders to represent nonprofit boards, to be on authority boards and commissions with the city, to just be in these leadership positions as opposed to always choosing the same two people, Mm -hmm. right? We need to build that pipeline. That was the goal. Convening people of this shared identity, new goals came about, right? Mm -hmm. Like new conversations. And I was, I'm a proud alum of the very first inaugural class and after that, I got to be the one, you know, lead a few of the programs and grow it out. Um, but in that class, I got to meet people where um, that were really proud of being Hispanic, Latinx or Latina, really mm-hmm. proud. They identified the center of the community of Tulsa, right? And they wanted to just be put in a board to represent because they're really proud of seeing the community needs. And then you had people that were kind of, you know, in where I stood, which is I grew up, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. I told mm. you that. And in the community here in Tulsa at the time was the people that I saw were majority Mexican-American, uh, maybe even Honduran. I didn't see other Boricuas like me or yeah. even I didn't even see other like the idea of being Afro-Latino, like my family members, I, I didn't get to see that yeah. around. So I thought, is this going to be like college where I'm not going to be Latino enough? Yeah. Right? Like, is this going to be, is this my, so I took, took it as a tester, knowing that I am oftentimes picked to serve on boards because I've worked understanding what is the, um, the language of influence, which is bureaucracy sometimes, right? Like yeah. I've learned that. So I'm probably the the person they're going to choose. Oh, Marcia, okay, you come here, come be on our board. So what do all Latinos think? Mm, <laughs> that's uncomfortable. But I understand why I'm chosen is because, you know, I've, of my background, I yeah. told you, you know, I've worked hard to have that, unfortunately, that unaccented voice and try to master the English language and all of those things to be considered worthy of representation, which is absurd to even say that out loud. But if I'm put in these boards and I then look back and I'm trying to fight for a voice and representation of the Latinx community and I look turn and I turn around the Latinx community, I don't align with them or they don't align with me and I'm not a similar cultural identity or maybe we just it's different. It felt uncomfortable. It felt like I was a fraud. Yeah. So in HLI, I got to talk about that openly and other people opened up about that and I said oh my goodness we need each other yes exactly oh my goodness we need each other and then you had other folks that are saying my parents worked really hard my parents are like you Marcia 
My parents worked hard to have an unaccented voice, throw away everything that is their, their Hispanic Latinx identity, and raise us very much the, the main culture here, assimilate. Yeah. And now we're looking back and I wish I want to raise my children and I want to go back to my roots. I want to find pride if, in being uh, brown. I want to have yeah. pride in being, you know. So it was interesting to hear all of those and all of those different perspectives were in the same class of Hispanic Leadership Institute. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you see the nuance of like identity and yeah. the relationship with it. So we we came together thinking we are like a sofrito. Sofrito is a, a, a base to most uh, Latin American cooking. Mm. And it's different, unique tastes. Like it has, you know, onion. It has, I, don't, I can't tell you the secret of my sofrito. <laughs> but basically it is what turns, it is the base of every, it's like a roux, like New Orleans, you know, like a roux, like the base okay, of yeah, a yeah, stew yeah. or the base of a, a rice, a beans, the base of how you're going to season anything. And that when you have sofrito, it's very individual ingredients that are very different, but together blended, it's just magic. And yeah. then when you add that to anything you cook, mwah, chef's kiss. I it love is that. that. So we consider that we're very different and yeah. together we're magic. And then if we're added to any ingredient, like an organization, a nonprofit or an authority border commission, we can truly amplify who we are in this community. So I, I'm only sharing that context to you is that I I would say that other folks feel like you do. And there's folks that are needed in that center, yeah. folks that are feeling like, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. There's gonna, you're going to find community in that. And in a way, we really all need each other. Oh, I love that. I mean, what you just described is exactly how I felt um, in, my, in my undergrad experience because it was kind of this gathering of nations, if you will, of indigenous people, because there's my undergrad, or at least my peers of, of people that my community at, at school were all indigenous people from across the United States. And we were all talking about these different nuances of our experiences. And, that, and that's exactly how it felt. It was this, we kind of added in our own experience only to find that it was very similar or very different. And that's also okay. But it, there was a unifying element of obviously we're very proud of where we came from mm. there where we love we, we love either our culture we love our we're trying to reconnect with our language or you know we want to go back to our roots in some type of way and i just thought that um it it, it bred so much pride I, I think it like reignited my love for oklahoma too because like a lot of people like to talk crap about oklahoma and i wasn't nobody was going to let that fly really at, mm. at, at my school it felt like nobody was going to let you just say whatever you wanted about where I came from because it's where I came from and not you type mm. of thing um so yeah I appreciate you pushing back and we we've kind of had uh like glances of this conversation before and it it, it is just so important to be reminded of so I I really appreciate it yeah I, th I, th I think the conversation that we've been having is is amazing and I I really Marcia it's been amazing to have you on let's um for any Grow With Us listeners, uh, potential applicants of your programs, what are some upcoming things that um, people should have on the radar? Yes. So I would say uh, be on the lookout for the LT360 application. Be on the lookout. The most upcoming one is going to be the Hispanic Leadership Institute. It'll be opening up this summer. Um, in Once a month in the morning, we have online information sessions. Uh, to talk about our different programs. But transparently, I would start going on to leadershiptulsa.org 
and see when we have different workshops, alumni engagement events that happen in our leadership center, uh, sign on for the newsletter. And if there's a program that's missing, if there's a voice that's missing, please reach out to me and let me know. I really, because that that's the only way we're going to grow. Uh, we we want to make sure that we elevate our community voices. If there's an issue that you want to see elevated in some way, an organization you want to spotlight, uh, you want to volunteer and be a guest speaker, or again, a community or narrative that's missing, I, we need to know. That's the only way we're going to grow. And if there's something that you're interested in serving, like in a nonprofit board, let us know as well. We've got programs for that. We have board internships where you can learn board best practices and also serve as an intern on a board. And if you are interested in some sort of specific community project, uh, there's an issue in your community, your neighborhood that you've noticed and you want to just find more about it, like find out more about how can you support, how can you be part of a solution, reach out to us at leadershiptulsa.org. You can reach out to me. I think our all of our contact information is on the website, but my name is Marcia. Uh, at leadershiptulsa.org. And we've got a phenomenal dynamic staff, Mike Davis. He is our program manager over Thrive, who's now an education cohort that's dealing and addressing issues that are in the education sector. If you want to reach out to him, I know. Uh, and then we also have a proud program fellow. I'm very proud of her, Faith Nichols. Yes. Yes, we love Faith. <laughs> She's from the Tulsa Service Year cohort, and she has been a phenomenal resource for us as she has established great processes for our programs. But I think also she brought to our attention that we're lacking AAPI representation in meaningful resources and programming for AAPI community and elevating their voices in places of influence like nonprofit boards. So she is working with other AAPI leaders and I'm excited to see the potential of a leadership program for that community, uh, our community of Tulsa. So I, all of those ways you can plug in. We appreciate you. And before we leave though, just because Dr. Jim Davis taught me, I'm going to teach you how to say my name. Yes, is that okay? Okay. Of course. So my name, you can say it two different ways. Okay. Uh, I'll accept. You see that? I'm being friendly. I'm being, I'm being <laughs> kind. I'm being kind. Uh, in Spanish, it's Marcia. Marcia. Marcia, yeah. And sometimes if that's hard, I've heard Marcia, and that's okay. So Marcia. Marcia. Or, there you go. Beautiful. Ooh, that was seductive, wasn't it? <laughs> it's a sensual. See? Look at that. Okay. What Y'all, was the second one? There, the second one, Marcia. Marcia okay, is like when it's hard to say the ah sound. Mm -hmm. I've had people say Marcia, and that's fine. It's hard because... No, I'm not. Let me not apologize. It's not <laughs> hard. It's not, I cannot. I can I want to honor Dr. Davis. Uh, it's two syllables. Marcia. There you go. Yeah. Thank you so much Thank for you. being on this episode of Grow With Us. It's been amazing. For our listeners of Grow With Us, I'd like to plug a few resources that might be helpful for you. If you would like to stay in touch with all of our future jobs and opportunities at Intulsa, then please join our talent network. You can join at talent.intulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. By joining our talent network, you will get access to our newsletter where you can stay up to date with our latest career advice, featured opportunities with Tulsa partner companies, and our placement success stories. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. And a huge thank you to our editors at Rant9 Production and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Grow With Us. <laughs>